is two girls, two one ghost. Two girls, one ghost. This is Sabrina. Oh, yeah. I'm Corinne. <laughs> Welcome back to another spooky episode. And I just have to apologize because the last episode I changed my my recording location and I don't know what was going on. But every time I talked, there was noise. In the yeah, there were some creepy noises. People were... People were freaked I out. I got we got multiple messages on the fa- on Facebook and Instagram, and they were like, "But yeah, it was like trash day outside, and I was in my living room, and I think my hair was like making noise. <laughs> put my hair up. That's why I look the way I do today. But you have a nice backlight too, <laughs> so it's kind of making your face all dark and spooky. As always, As always. I am recording at six thirty a.m. and I woke mm-hmm. up. You know when you wake up in the middle of the night and you don't want to check your clock because you're scared of what hour it is? Right. So I woke up 15 minutes before my alarm, but I, I refused to look at my... Well, because you had been waking up at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. And the thing I researched last hour. night was terrifying. I know. When you texted me this morning when I... Or you texted mm-hmm. me last night, but I was, I was already asleep. So this morning when I read it, I was like, oh, no, I wonder if she actually researched that thing it was already too late by the time i read that thing oh (laughs) then you may as well just keep going if it's already too late for you what is the thing that happened to you this week because you alluded to it like three times while we were texting and you never told me it's so hard not to talk to you during the week (laughs) (laughs) but i want to tell you tell me what happened first nick and i went to dinner that um blind dining the dinner was really cool. Everyone should go do it. It's awesome. Um, it's funny because the whole time you're like feeling the table with your hands like flat on the surface because you don't want to knock anything over. And you, I was handing mm-hmm. the butter to Nick and he just put his fingers in it because <laughs> you can't see. Um, and then also it's interesting because usually when you see a food, you automatically assign a taste to it or you have a taste that goes with that food. Mm-hmm. But when you can't see it, you have to just taste it. And I could not figure out what cauliflower was for the longest time. That's – well, cauliflower, like, it's it's pretty flavorless yeah. to begin with. I was like, it kind of has a broccoli texture, but it tastes really gooey. <laughs> oh yeah that's so weird that's fun that would actually be like a fun party mm-hmm. thing yeah there was someone blind taste there was testing. someone there for their birthday that's so yeah. fun it kind of reminds me of did you see it i should like retweet it on our twitter account but there's um there's a a gif going mm-hmm. around of like these power towers and then one of them's like jumping up and jump roping. It's just like a stupid little like photoshopped gif. Yeah. But everybody, it's like seventy percent of people who look at the gif swear that they can hear a noise with it, even though it's silent. And I looked at it and I, I feel like I can hear a noise too. So when, yeah, when one of the towers is like jumping over the jump rope, when it crashes down onto the ground before it jumps again, you feel like you hear like a boo, like it hitting. The oh, ground. just because that's like what logically would happen. Yeah, so oh it's gosh. like it's a bunch of there's all this debate like if it's something just like that your brain is used to seeing stuff like that and so it associates the sound even when it's not there or if it's like synesthesia and people are mixing up like sight with sounds and whatever. Wow. It's super cool. That is really cool. 
but that would be really hard, I feel like, to eat stuff without even seeing because I've I've had mushrooms before and, and not known yeah. they were mushrooms. Because they were just prepared in such a mm-hmm. weird way. And I, I saw them. I looked at them. Yeah, it's so weird. I ended up feeling like I – or using my hands a lot to just feel what the items were. And also because you don't know where the food is on your plate. And so you just have to kind of use your hands to figure it out. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, this is so fun. Yeah, I wanted to do really it. Yeah, it was really cool. And then – What is the place um, called? The one in Santa Monica was Opaque. Oh, it's insane. Mm-hmm. Monica. But I think they have it all over. Speaking of LA. Wait, I have to, I have to tell you what happened, it's... though. Oh. Um, so at the end of dinner, we go out of the restaurant and we sit back in the lounge, wait for our check. And the woman brings us our check. And there's another couple sitting down at another booth. So I immediately think that our cards are going to get swapped. And then, so we're leaving and I'm in the car. We get a call from the restaurant and they say, oh my gosh, I gave you the wrong card. <laughs> Premonition. And... I literally, when she gave me the check, I thought, what if our cards get switched? And so we had to go back and give the card back. Then on Tuesday, Nick and I went to go see a movie and I was wearing my shirt that says, I hate mornings. And we start walking by this guy and like, I just like looked at the guy and I was covering my shirt, like with my arms over my chest. And I saw the guy and I was like, I think he wants to see my shirt. And I put my hands down, and immediately he goes, oh, I hate mornings, too. Was he creepy? No. Or, like, just no. a normal person? Just, like, a normal dude walking in Playa Vista. But I was, like, I just, like, knew that he would want to see my shirt. And then he said something about seeing my shirt. <laughs> Isn't that weird? The first one's, I think, way more weird than the second one. But... The way it worked in my head, like, the way it was, like, right. I knew he was going to say something about my shirt. That it wasn't just, like, oh, why is he staring at me? It was, like, oh, But he wasn't staring at me. He was not looking at me. I saw him walking across the street. And you decided to and expose your And I decided to show my shirt because in my head I knew he wanted to see my shirt and would say something <laughs> about my shirt. That's so weird. <laughs> It's a little strange. You're getting premonitions. Maybe it's because we're doing this podcast, so you're more sensitive now. I know. Or I was thinking maybe because happening. being in the dark like that triggered something and just, like, opened you more because you have to oh. use your other senses. and Maybe. Yeah. I wonder. Because that's when it started. I wonder if anyone else has that experience. Yeah. Have you had, like, premonitions before? No. And... Is it premonitions or is it, like, clairvoyance? Because premonitions are usually for a bad thing, aren't they? Yeah. Sense of foreboding. I've gotten some premonitions, which I get. I don't know if they're just bad. Like, all the ones that I've had are turned out to be bad. But I don't really know. It's weird. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) We should do an episode on that. Yeah. What were you going to say about L.A.? Oh, I was just going to say, like, all the fires and everything. It's terrifying. It's so scary. So I just hope that everybody's safe. Yeah. It's And all the animals, too. I know. Also, if you are in the L.A. area or an area that is ever having a fire, one good tip for you. 
to help wildlife is they're losing their homes, they're running, they're scared, they don't know where to go. So a lot of times they're going to come into these residential areas and go through your yard and whatever. Don't freak out. Actually, you should leave out buckets of water for them because help them along their journey and let them go through and because they're not going to hurt gain you. Some strength. They're scared. No, they're terrified. Yeah. They're trying to leave just like everybody else. Yeah. So help them out. Put out some water. Let them do their thing. Yeah. And call in the professionals if you see any injured. It's so sad. It's very sad. And it's scary. I mean, the it, just, it looks like an apocalypse. It, it really does. The 405 was closed yesterday, so I couldn't drive to work that way. It took me two hours to go another way. On the way home, though, it was wild because they opened the 405 again because they had cleared the fires that were right on the four, right off the freeway. But you could just see, and also no one was on the freeway. It was it was so post apocalyptic. It was just like barren and empty. Yeah. And then the where the fire was was just like brown and ashy, and it was. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That video that that one person posted when he was over by, like, the Getty. Yeah. Driving along mm-hmm. that road. Oh, my God. It actually looked fake. I was like, how? Like, their cars must be so hot driving right yeah, next to the... Yeah, that's what the... people were saying in the videos. They're like, you can feel the heat. Oh, my God. Yeah. But stay safe, everybody. Yeah. yeah. Always have an evacuation plan, an emergency to go Get by. a life straw. Get a life straw. <laughs> um, I need to get an emergency kit in my house. You do. You should ask Lee for her advice. We have a friend, Lee, and she is like on top of her shit when it comes to emergencies. I know. She has a full emergency preparedness kiss, kit. A kiss. She has, <laughs> she has someone ready to kiss her when, when there's an emergency. <laughs> she has an emergency kit. The tsunami thing is really freaking me out. <laughs> Everyone's like, the big one's coming, the big one's coming. It's like, great, okay, thank you. It might be. Yeah, well. And hopefully you're visiting home in New Jersey when that happens. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. As long as I have Leia with me. And oh, yeah. And Nick. <laughs> oh, and Nick. <laughs> Nick, too. Nick, too. <laughs> Love him, too. Um. Oh, I have. Remember how we were talking about those spirits that try to do sexual things? Mm-hmm. They're called incubus or an incubus, and that In- incubus. Yeah, they have a specific name. It's a demon in a male form who, according to mythology and legendary traditions, he lies upon sleeping women in order to engage in sexual activity with them. And then the female counterpart is a succubus. So just ghosts going around trying to boink people. Mm-hmm. But, like, they're demons. Oh. Yeah. That's so disconcerting, too, that, like, something can touch you and, like, from the other side and cause harm. Yeah. Like, sexually. Someone Facebook messaged us saying she once woke up to what she thought was her dog rubbing her butt. (gasps) But it was a ghost. Oh, my gosh. And that's, yeah. oh, yeah. How terrifying is that? It reminds me of, was it our first episode when we did hotels and there were a few spirits that would like try to lower the women into the yeah. closet or like touch them. 
And we just thought they were grab their hips when they were bending down. It's like we just uh, thought they were pervy ghosts. But Mm -hmm. what if they were incubus and succubus? They might be. We don't know because we don't really know anything. This entire (laughs) podcast is just us speculating. What if? What if? What if? What what if? if? (laughs) We don't know nothing. Because I don't even know if it's fair to say ghosts have psychologies. (laughs) Right. But we like to pretend and guess what their psychology is. But, like, it goes back to just the fact that studying this or researching this is such a tough subject because Mm -hmm. how do you ever know if you're right you don't there's no hard evidence there's no proof you can't do empirical research you can't test and retest like it's just it is what it is we can try to create patterns and try to speculate based on other people's experiences but yeah and i feel like we use human we use human mind as a way to explain ghosts so like we're like okay what were they as a human that must be how they're acting as a ghost wait that's a really good point and i had never thought of it from that angle before that we assume that everything else or others act or think the way we do but what if it's an entirely different thing that we can't even wrap our minds around well like an alien that's exactly what it is (laughs) not an alien but like it's something we can't wrap our heads around so we try to rationalize it the way Mm -hmm. we know how to Do, 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 do. Um, should we get right into the spooky topic? I guess it's not really right in because it's 20 minutes already, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Guys, let's do it. we're going scary this week and we're doing Ouija boards. Everybody's favorite topic. <laughs> let's start, actually. I would like to start and open up Please. by reading. So one of our listeners, she emailed us about Ouija boards and Mm -hmm. spirit boards. And as any of you guys know, if you've listened to more than just this episode, we often say, don't use a Ouija board. Don't do it. And we are very frightened by them Mm -hmm. and are not fans. No. But we did have a listener who uses them and seems to be a little bit more learned in that area. And so I think maybe before we tell all the scary stories, I could read yeah. her story or her advice yeah, as to awesome. how yeah. to properly use one. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'd like to hear it too. Her name is Jen and she titled it, You Can Safely Use a Ouija Board. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we opened it and we're like, okay, let's learn. <laughs> um, she said, hello, ladies. Since a young age, I've always been fascinated by all things ghostly and have had several experiences with spirits. I had my hair played with in the basement in Gettysburg. I saw a Civil War soldier on the ridge outside my brother's property. And our house has a resident spirit named William who is protective of me, just oh. to name a few. But really, what I really wanted to email you about, though, is the use of spirit boards. So spirit boards are also called witchy boards or witch boards. All those names are all-encompassing. But she wanted mm-hmm. to email us about this. Um, she said, or as they're more commonly called, Ouija boards. I'm a pagan slash witch and have used spirit boards numerous times. And to be quite honest, they get a bad rap. Also, Ouija board is just the brand name given to commercialize the board that we all know today. And I'm going to tell you all about that in a little bit. Woo! Segway. 
Using the spirit board can actually be very emotional and informative means of contacting, of making contact with spirits. Of course, you want to take protective measures before and after using a board, such as grounding and centering, smudging, casting a circle, etc., just so that no bad spirits can come through or so that they have no spirits follow you home. And on the off chance that they do, you simply say that they are not welcome and they need to leave and they will. Sidebar, anytime you feel a presence that is too overwhelming, makes you scared or uncomfortable, etc., tell them to leave. It works for me every time. I can see why yeah. people would be frightened by Ouija boards, but when used properly, you can have an amazing experience with them. I'm a member of a community of witches in Northern Virginia and just recently attended several seances throughout October where the spirit board was used and the spirits that were coming through were family members of those present. And overall, it was a very emotional experience for everyone involved, not just those whose families come through. Moral of the story When used properly, spirit boards are great tools to use for communicating with spirits. Number one rule, though, do not ask them how they died. It is the equivalent of someone asking you how much you weigh. It's deeply personal and can be painful for the spirit to remember. Also, a general rule of thumb when talking to spirits is to show some respect. Wow. The whole asking how you died. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either until Jen told us. So yeah. thank you, Jen, for sending yeah, that to us. Thank you. It actually made me feel a little bit better about wanting to go to that um, reading. So you can use Ouija boards, but you have to be knowledgeable and respectful yeah. and know what you're doing and take precautions and don't just willy-nilly go into it doing whatever. I agree. And I think it's safe to say if – because here's my thing – demons feed off of fear and i think if you're mm-hmm. going to be afraid and while using the ouija board they're going to feed off of that like i think you need to mentally prepare yourself if you're going to use a ouija board and don't use it as like a jokey kind of experience right which i feel like a lot of people Especially end up using because it because that could be insulting like to a spirit coming through and trying to make contact and get a message totally. across and it's a bunch of people making fun of it like shit if that were me i'd be like fuck you and do a bunch of mean things so and also too i think it is about maybe the space that you're in if you're in a safe place or have a group of people around you that have welcoming and protecting energies then that's probably better but if you live in a house or go to a place that's supposed to be really haunted maybe with negative spirits Mm -hmm. why why would you try to open up the board and that contact. So I think it may be being about like being smart about where you use it. Maybe that's just me. Yeah. I mean, it's the respect. I think that's what it comes back, comes back to just be respectful and like know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I miss that show medium. It was so good. Oh, it was so good. I love that show. I watched every episode. Me too. I actually recently did that. I yeah, also oh loved gosh, Ghost so Whisperer. Did you ever see that? Yes. That oh, was good I loved Ghost Whisperer. Yeah. And it's like those two shows, whenever I look up an actor on IMDb, if it's like some random person that's just in a show and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're great, but I think I've seen them before. It's They've always <laughs> been on one of those shows. I'm like, ah, oh, that's, that's where amazing. they were. They were a ghost. They were a ghost. Um. Speaking of ghosts, should we talk about Ouija boards and where they came from? And Yeah, please give us a little more insight into it. Right. So for everyone who does not know, 
Uh, a Ouija board is a flat board with the letters of the alphabet arrayed in two semicircles above the numbers zero through nine. And then the words yes and no are in the uppermost corners and goodbye is at the bottom. Every Ouija board comes with like a planchette, which is a teardrop shaped device, usually with a small window in the body, which you use to move maneuver around the board. Mm-hmm. And our logo, our podcast logo is mm-hmm. based off of a Ouija board. Exactly. To uh, familiarize yourself with the layout. Yeah. So originally they were made on wood, but now they're usually made on cardboard when they're sold in, you know, toy stores, which is crazy to me that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, do you know what the age, is it like ages 10 and up or something? I think it's board? younger than that. Really? Yeah. Eight and up. It's funny. It says the recommended age to have a Ouija board is eight eight years and up. So you need to be 21 years old to drink alcohol and eight to summon the devil. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly don't think that you should be able to use it until you're like 60. No, I just think you just, it should, I don't think it really matters on age. It matters on like intent. Maturity. Yeah. And maturity. You should have to take a test. My gosh. Everything you do has to require taking a test. In my world, Want to go grocery shopping? You have to take a test. Are you really able to accurately pick out your produce, though? Can you push the cart properly? How long are you going to take to pay for your groceries at the end? Ugh. If it's too long, you're out. Are you going to get in line and say, oh, I forgot something, and ask the person behind you to wait? Ugh. <laughs> painful, painful, painful. Painful. Okay. So one of the first mentions of the automatic writing method used in the Ouija board is found in China around 1100 AD. Um, It's been written in historical documents of the Song Dynasty, and the method was known as Fuji planchette writing. Fuji. There are similar methods of medium spirit writing, which were practiced in ancient India, Greece, Rome, and medieval Europe. And a lot of the history behind a Ouija board is very mysterious. So most of this work and research was done by Robert Murch, who is the chairman of the Talking Board Historical Society and has been piecing together the history for over 25 years by talking to the descendants of the founders of the board. So a lot of this comes from the Smithsonian. The Ouija board came out of the 19th century obsession with spiritualism, which hit America hard in 1841 when the Fox sisters, who claimed to receive messages from spirits who rapped on walls in answer to questions, were were traveling America and performing. It was an acceptable, even wholesome activity to contact spirits at seances through automatic writing or table-turning parties in which participants would place their hands on a small table and watch it begin shake and rattle while they all declared they weren't moving it. So this is all before a Ouija board was ever in existence. This is all kind of more just like communicating with the other side um, Mm -hmm. and seances. So even Mary Todd Lincoln, the wife of President Abraham Lincoln, conducted seances in the White House after their 11-year-old son died of a fever in 1862 during the Civil War. Spiritualism gave desperate people the chance to connect with loved ones who'd gone away to war and never come home. So it was a kind of a, it was a way to get get peace from sorrow. Mm -hmm. In 1886, there was a phenomenon taking over the spiritual camps in Ohio, and it was called the talking board. So 
this man, Charles Kennard from Baltimore, Maryland, in 1890, assembled a group of four investors who decided to create a board for sale. They saw that they could market it and made it make a profit off of it. So they decided to make a company and sell it. So they created the board, but they didn't have a name for it yet. So the four investors, with, along with one of the sisters of the board members, Helen Peters, sat around the table and asked the board what they should call it. And the board responded, Ouija. And when they asked what it, it meant. It named itself? It named itself. Like the brain. Uh-huh. And when they asked what it meant, the board replied, good luck. I don't know if that's like a Ouija means good luck or like, hey, it's a thing now, so good, good luck. luck. Like you just created me. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, one of the accounts said that Helen Peters, who was the person, the sister of the investor, who, it was super spiritual and she was wearing a locket around her neck with a picture of a woman with the name Ouida. O-U-I-D-A, who's a famous author and women's rights activist. So it's kind of, people don't know if she used that in, as inspiration or. Either, yeah, like subconsciously or if it's like. A spirit that, saw that's it. the thing. It's like, is this a real, real story or is this like the best marketing? Right. Well, so like I said, the whole history is very mysterious. So Robert Murch has been doing all of his research by talking to descendants of the founders. So who knows if this is a story that was passed down through generations through the family or if it was actually real. Mm -hmm. um, but in addition to that one story, when they were trying to get the patent for the board, the patent officer was, uh, he didn't believe in it. He was very skeptical and he didn't want to give the patent. So he met with two of the investors and said, I'm not going to tell you my name. I need, I want the board to tell me my name and then I'll give you your patent. So they all sat down and communicated with the spirits who correctly spelt the officer's name. And he gave them a patent on February 10th of 1891. Okay. That's more believable because you couldn't just Google people back then. Right. <laughs> exactly. So how would you ever know? Yeah, I don't know. But so then it officially came out in 1891 in a Pittsburgh toy and novelty shop, and it was advertised as a magical device that answered questions about the past, present, and future with marvelous accuracy, and it cost $1.50. It's not that much more expensive today. No, it's not. Pretty but, affordable to summon demons. But uh, yeah, I, uh, whatever. Uh, I don't even Oh my know. gosh, if there's like a really creepy noise in the background, my stomach just grumbled so ominously. <laughs> I forgot to eat. Someone's talking through your stomach. Who needs a talking board when you have Corinne's stomach? <laughs> we can just use a marker and put A, B, C, D, the whole alphabet on my stomach and see what happens. See what your stomach says. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's this weird thing that happened. Um, there is a man, William Fold who did not invent the board and he was not part of the original investors group, but he was running the company in 1893. So this man, William Fold, died in 1927 after a freak fall from the roof of his new factory, which is a factory he said the Ouija board told him to build. Ooh. 
Isn't that weird? Who told you? It could have been Zozo. We'll talk about that later. Don't say the name too many times. I know, I know. Save it. Save it. So basically for a long time, the Ouija board was used to find relief and to talk to family members who have passed. And it was kind of a more pleasant thing until... 1973, when things changed and the Ouija board became a tool of the devil. It began popping up in scary movies, which showed that the Ouija board was opening the door to evil spirits, hell-bent on ripping apart co-eds. Co-ed killer, (coughs) OG. Oh my gosh. Maybe maybe Ed Kemper played with the Ouija board and he blames his mom for her work with co-eds, but really it was the spirit on the Ouija board. Oh, so in 2011... The Ouija board was denounced by a lot of religious groups and referred to as Satan's preferred method of communication. So in New Mexico, they burned in bonfires, they burned Ouija boards, copies of Harry Potter, and Disney's Snow White. That? Why Snow White? Why Harry Potter? Well, because it's witches and wizards and magic and spells. The best thing in the world. I watched it last night while I was researching I don't get the Snow White thing, though. It's like, do you just hate Walt Disney? Like, that was the first movie to ever come out well, by the, Disney. The wi- there is a witch in Snow White. It's just the it's just the old, like, hag that's like, Apple. Well, yeah, so they burn those things. Who knows why? Um, and then, so skeptics say that there's a mysterious mechanism that powers Ouija boards, and it's called the idometer effect. And it's basically a way for your body to talk to itself. And it's an example of unconscious involuntary physical movement. And it's like they relate it to if you've ever experienced the sudden feeling of jerking awake from sleep, then you've experienced a version of the idometer effect. It's your brain signaling your body to move without your conscious awareness. So it's like your brain going rogue and doing whatever Mm -hmm. the crap it wants. Yeah, like your brain unconsciously creating images and memories when you ask a Ouija board questions. So that's the history. Should I talk about Zozo or do you want to tell your story and then I'll talk about Zozo? I think we could end with yours. Okay. It's spookier. It's terrifying. So I did, I was looking up like actual events that happened because of Ouija boards. And I found this one to be interesting because there's a lot of action with the Ouija board. It wasn't just like a one-time thing. Right. So I chose Dorothy Jane Roberts, better known as Jane Roberts. And you might recognize her name because she was a pretty well-known author and poet. She published a bunch of books and she wrote like poetry and short stories and children's books, fiction, nonfiction, science, fiction, everything. Um, and she... I wrote down this fact because I'm like, this proves that she was quite successful. She was the only woman invited to the first science fiction writers conference in 1956. Whoa, go Jane. I know. So she, yeah, she was definitely great at what she did. Right. And she wrote like so many books. It's insane. Jane was not always successful in life. Not that it was her fault, but she had a pretty rough upbringing. She grew up in Saratoga Springs, New York, and her parents divorced when she was two. So she lived with her mother 
and was the only child and they lived in a very poor neighborhood and her grandparents were living with them at a, at a time because her mom became super sick with rheumatoid arthritis um, and her grandparents moved in and were trying to help them out but her grandmother died a few years later in a car accident and then her grandfather just found himself unable to support two extra people and so he eventually moved out which left Jane alone with her mother oh my goodness and her mom was super sick and pretty much on bed rest so Jane was taking care of her the whole time and the welfare department did try to help them but ultimately most of the responsibility was left on Jane she had to like cook and clean and wash her mom's bedpan and like do everything for her mom wow it's it reminds me of a Similar to Matilda, but minus the, like, terrible parents. Right. But, like, having to grow up so young. But it is like Matilda because her mom was not great. Oh, really? At all. Mm. Jane described her mom as, quote, a real bitch. Oh, my gosh. Um, Yeah. She blamed Jane for her illness, saying (gasps) just because she was born, uh, Jane was worthless and always told her, like, how awful she was. Uh, her mom what? tried to commit suicide multiple times. Wait, okay. Side note: Have you seen the show Sinner? No. It is so good. It's with Jessica Biel, and it it reminds me of that because the, a lot of her background is like about her mom being. Oh my gosh! I need to watch it. It's really good. It's it's a true crime, or not true crime, but it's like a crime show. Yeah, that genre. Yeah. I would like it then. You would really like it. And it reminds me of this. Well, so Jane also herself became sick. So that was super unfortunate because she had a rough upbringing. And then she got sick and she got symptoms of colitis, which is where your colon becomes inflamed. And she developed an overactive thyroid gland. And she also had very poor vision. So her mom was sick and then she became super sick, which like, right. oh my gosh, rough life. Yeah. Um, Cause you, and then like, when her, especially because she's taking care of her mom, her mom's probably like, right. Her not mom's letting her take care of herself. Her. Yeah. And there was a lot of back and forth with Jane too, because she, even one time she told the welfare department, whoever the representative was, the sh- social worker, she, told them like i just can't do this anymore i need to leave i think when she was like 15 or something she said that but she never did leave so it was a bunch of back and forth between her fear of abandonment and needing family and wanting people to be close to her and also recognizing how poor her conditions were so she she was like there was a lot going on and then on top of that she herself developed health issues um And then when her mom was put into a hospital, Jane was sent to a strict Catholic orphanage, and that started her development of her strong religious beliefs. She went to college. She went to Skidmore College in 1947 for poetry. And in her time then at Skidmore, her grandfather died, which led to her religious beliefs becoming even more concrete and yeah really strengthening her dependency on those beliefs a decade or so later she was married at this time after college a decade or so later jane was sitting at her table writing poetry when a flood of ideas and inspiration came to her and these ideas were all revolving around psychic phenomena 
In many of her books, she did include stuff like, like she would talk about like reincarnation and clairvoyance and everything like that, but she never really, like those were more included, I think, in her fiction and science fiction novels and and less so in her actual reality. Like she didn't think of those things as being real because she had developed this strong religion. Right. Um, But deep down, she must have believed it was real because. Right. And then all of a sudden, just, like, this flood of stuff came to her where she was like, oh, my gosh, I need to start looking into this. So after this moment at the kitchen table, her dreams became very, very vivid. And her and her husband decided to focus on exploring this spiritual world. So in 1963, her and her husband started using a Ouija board for research for her books. And on December 2nd of that year, of 1963, something very unique started happening. She started receiving, or her and her husband started receiving messages on the board from a man who called himself Seth. Jane spoke to Seth seven different times via the Ouija board, but not long after Seth's messages on the Ouija board came, she started just directly hearing Seth in her mind and channeling Seth through her own body. Oh, my gosh. So a month after she received her first message, her and her husband started dictating what Seth was saying. So they were writing it all down. And they continued to use the Ouija board here and there to communicate with Seth up until February of 1964. What did Seth say? A whole bunch of stuff. Like, I can't even just say one thing. It was like, she wrote books about it. So that's what I'm getting to. Oh, my gosh. I want to read these. So Jane used what she garnered from Seth to write the Seth books. And she insists that she was in a trance-like state when she wrote them and that it was actually Seth who took over her body and was speaking and basically writing these books. And her husband was, like, writing down everything as Seth was coming through Jane. What? So I bet Jane doesn't even have – like, she probably doesn't remember it. Yeah, like, maybe not clear memories as to what was even happening. But Seth gave, like, he talked about so many different things. Like, he gave them so much material for books. He would talk about reincarnation. He would talk about just philosophy and all these religious views and and whatnot. But then he'd also just sprinkle in other advice, like telling them how to rearrange their furniture to better match their energy. Just like (laughs) this guy that was just like, like, talking, talking, talking. They said that it was oftentimes almost like monologues. Oh, my god! He would just come out and blurt out a ton of stuff. Wait, I do have um, to ask, did Jane give him a co-writing credit? You know, I don't know. I don't think his name is on, on the cover, but they are named after him. Okay. And I'm sure she probably included something like, this was written by Seth. <laughs> all words were said by Seth. This was all dictated by Seth through my mouth and my brain. Mm-hmm. The, oh, they also received a message from another spirit through the Ouija board that told them that their work with Seth was really important. And then Whoa. it was going to be a lifelong project. And apparently, Jane oh, I just and got chills at that. Yeah. Like for another thing to come in and be like, oh, by the way, like keep this going. You need to. Like this is your yeah. destiny. But her and her husband were like a little bit skeptical of these messages and were like, okay, like we're not really sure what's going on. We don't have much experience with the spiritual world. Is this normal? But they were like, okay, whatever. Like we'll keep going. And they wrote to a psychologist. Mm-hmm. who um, I believe he probably did some work with like parapsychology because 
Jane wrote to this guy regarding reincarnation and he wrote back to Jane because he said that the way that she wrote suggested that her writing was coming from her subconscious. And he, the, the psychologist also brought up issues of the psychic world and mental illness, which Jane was insulted by mm. at the mention of mental illness because she thought her and her husband were being cautious and like viewing these interactions with more of a skeptical perspective. Right. And she and her husband like made it like made a point to monitor her personality or any changes that she was having to try to like see if maybe it was her versus Seth. Interesting. Yeah. Like how do you differentiate Jane versus Seth if Seth is taking over her for so long? Right. And I wrote down a quote that she said too. She said, there was a constant battle though, as some of our results ran full tilt into my intellectual ideas in the beginning I took it for granted that Seth was a subconscious fantasy personified because I simply couldn't accept the possibility of spirits or, for that matter, life after death. Then, after it became obvious that Seth's sessions were going to continue, we kept constant check on my personality characteristics and went to a psychologist, as any sane, red-blooded American would do under (laughs) circumstances in those days. Seth seemed far more mature and well-balanced than a psychologist, so I finally stopped worrying. Besides, my personality showed no adverse signs of instability. If anything, I was more competent in handling physical affairs. This is not to say the experience did not cause certain strains or stresses that could accompany any worthwhile venture in an entirely new field. So Uh. she was kind of like, that stanza is kind of like her almost insulting the psychologist. Right. Like, oh, at first I thought, like, I was Seth, but then I realized, like, I'm not. Plus, Seth is so much smarter than a psychologist and, like, so much better. So, like, I don't know. I can just believe Seth. Which kind of sounds like Seth defending himself. Right. Coming through. Maybe the beginning of a possession story. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because I was reading – because Jen also sent us a second email – and in that email, she was talking about channeling and how she le- she realized that she is a channeler and it's really rare and it's different from a possession. It's more like where spirits can speak through you and use your energy and vocal cords to speak, but it's not a possession. So that's what Seth was doing. Yeah. To Jane. Um, and Jane also claimed to have channeled other people as well, like uh, – the philosopher William James and then like some other artists. So that part I was like, okay, like this makes me think this is more of a Jane thing than a Seth thing. Right. But who knows? But yeah, I mean, but if, if you can channel, I bet you can, it's not just one ghost, you know, you, you are open to channeling. Oh, there's also, I don't even know if it's a young adult book. It might be like a, like children's like preteen book. But I read a book when I was in middle school. Oh, my gosh. It was so good. I can't remember what it's <laughs> called. But it was basically this girl. She applies for this boarding school. And she gets in. But, like, no one else gets in of her friends. And she thinks it's really weird that, like, she got in because her friends were, like, more impressive than she was. Mm-hmm. And she goes and she moves in. And it's kind of like she gets these, like, weird vibes. And it's a little creepy. Oh, I think it might be, like, down a dark hall. Hmm. That sounds familiar. But basically, she, she was picked and a bunch of other students are picked 
based on how open they are or how what their abilities are like to channel. And this whole school basically collects all these kids that can channel spirits. And while they're asleep at night, these artists and like old philosophers and scientists take over their body and produce more of their work from beyond the grave through these people. So she had like a pian or a pianist or like a painter or someone come through her and produce all of this stuff Wait. through her. And it was like her trying Ew. to like crack the mystery of what was happening to her and everyone else. No one knew what was going on. It's like oh, a secret good. creepy Hogwarts. Yeah, it was so good. I think it might be down a dark hall. It okay. sounds familiar to me. But going back to Jane, so towards the end of her life, she kind of laid off writing as much and she took up a job at a nursery school, but she still continued her work with Seth. So all the other stuff that she was writing, she was like, oh, I'll take a break. But she, like that other spirit said, who came through the board, she continued. This was a lifelong project. Wow. So up until her death, she and her husband conducted more than 1,500 trance sessions in which she spoke for Seth, or more like channeled Seth. Yeah. Um, and they recorded some of these sessions, and they also provided public and private sessions. So people who wanted to see this happen could come. And, like, sometimes there were certain points where before the Seth stuff, like, really became popular, she would charge a price. But towards the end, once she was writing these books and they – gained a lot of traction she wasn't charging anything and people could just come and like witness Seth oh my gosh. taking over her body so there were hundreds of people to witness seth speaking through jane and most of the time he would talk about a variety of different topics in more of a monologue format wow. and she eventually published all of the material from seth in 19 well she started in 1969 mm-hmm. which was six years after she first made that initial contact on the Ouija board and she titled it the Seth material. And from 1970 onward, she says that the books published were not from her, but from Seth himself. So her first book was like her talking about what happened with Seth and meeting Mm -hmm. Seth and everything he, he did. But the next year, everything on is just Seth writing. And there are a total of 10 books in the Seth series And she also published more material under her name. And some of the books were inspired by Seth, such as the fictional trilogy, The Oversoul Seven, which was inspired by Seth's teachings of reincarnation and oversouls. So she learned stuff from him and wrote about it. People constantly wrote in with fan mail or they would ask questions from Seth or uh, like request Seth to to help them, to talk to them and speak with them. And in 1982, so this is, like, closer to when she passed away because she passed away in 1984. So two years before Jane passed away, people were still writing in fan mail, and they were receiving about 30 to 50 letters a week. Still oh, my goodness. About Seth. And in 1984, Jane passed away after being bedridden with severe arthritis and a number of other health problems that stemmed from her arthritis. And her husband continued to work on the completion of the Seth series, and he eventually remarried. The Seth series received a lot of praise and a lot of criticism right. as well. So I wanted to write down just like a few things that people had like mentioned. I also really want to read the Seth series now. I'm like kind of scared. I really want to read it. But people who were praising the Seth series said that it was quite similar to other channeled texts that were to come out. 
and that suggested that it was like an authentic experience. Um, and also Seth touched on religions such as like Hinduism, Taoism, um, but just a bunch of different religions. And he seemed to know a lot about all of them. Wow. And also others have said that Seth's teachings are quite articulate when it comes to paranormal phenomena and quantum physics. My goodness. Which suggests that Jane wouldn't be able to know these things herself without like extensive, extensive research and going right. to universities and all this stuff. So there's a lot more to come through from Seth that people don't believe was like something that Jane could have known, could have known, should have known, would know. Yeah. But the skeptics, the people that, that gave criticism said that Seth was none other than a personality created by Jane to deal with her poor upbringing and her fear of abandonment. And religious groups have also warned against the reading um, or reading this material as they believe Seth's very detailed exploration of philosophy goes beyond and doesn't adhere to traditional religious teachings of philosophy and of like Christianity. And these religious groups call the book, they said they've called it a book entirely written by a demon. But they believe that it was written by someone else. They, yeah. So they're afraid of it because of what it says. Their criticism is like, don't listen to what the demon is saying. Yeah. So that was Jane. He's in a Ouija board. I'm so curious about Seth. You can read like the actual books. Like you can buy his books. Is like, I wonder if he was a writer or he wanted to be a writer in his past life and just couldn't ever get it to it. So now he found his opportunity through channeling through Jane. Yeah, I don't know. Probably. I just changed my whole goal for being a ghost. I want to write a <laughs> book from beyond the grave. Also, I just looked it up and, or the, the not the Seth book, but the book I was talking about before. It's called Down a Dark Hall. By Lois Duncan. Okay. It's good. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, mine is definitely, I think, probably a little more lighthearted than yours. What what Zozo is? Stop saying the name. Well, I'm about to talk about him. Okay. It. Whatever it is. It. Okay, so I'm going to try to say the name as little as possible, but there is a section where I have to say all of his names. Oh, gosh. Okay. So if I disappear or something happens to me, you're watching <laughs> you it just, happen. You're listening poof. to it happen. Okay. You will all be witness. Okay. So Zozo is one of the most well-known and prominent demonic beings. No one really knows what he looks like or what he is, but people who have come in contact with him have reported terrifying experiences. Uh, he is most commonly contacted through the use of a Ouija board and is a demonic being with the power to do significant physical and mental harm. And there are reports of him dating back as early as 1816. And he has gone by other names such as... And the reason this freaks me out is because I call Nick Zuzu because of his last name. Uh-huh. And... The names that Zozo goes by are Zoso, Zazo, Zo, or Pazuzu. Like Zuzu. Yeah, and I call, or I call him Zoo. Uh, so he goes by all those names. 
And in one of our listener stories, someone who thinks they contacted him, he went by X. Wait, I've heard, I have heard this before. Like I've heard about him and I've also heard X. Like I've heard that nickname before. (gasps) Oh my God. Oh my God. What just happened? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. It was just like I plugged in my computer and the cord was propped up like it hadn't fully laid down yet. So it just fell all the way. But that was really bad. (laughs) 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 Okay, moving on, moving on. Okay. So the first. No, I've I've heard that before. Yeah. The first reported appearance of the entity was in 1816 when a young girl in Picardy, France, fell victim to a severe demonic possession. According to the Dictionnaire Infernal, published in 1818 by Jacques-Colin de Plancy, the girl became the vessel for a number of demons. One of them was the mysterious Zozo. And... Later, when Ouija boards entered popular culture in the 20th century, stories of this demon began to rise, and numerous tales told of the Ouija board spirit, the one who devours souls and changes lives. He is a complicated entity, or it is a complicated entity, or so it it would seem. In most stories, it initially appears friendly. Sometimes it uses a different name, like X. Occasionally, it will appear in the middle of a conversation with another spirit and interrupt the communication, which makes me think, and a lot of this makes me think that there's like a connection between every Ouija board because, and then like this demon is able to travel through them because it, it, it ends up in, through the in so boards. many different locations. And like the fact that it jumps in the middle of the conversation, it's like, oh, there's a Ouija board being used in Alabama. I'm going to go over there and say hello yeah like how can it be in so many locations at once or i mean not at once but just in so many locations so if the planchette performs strange figure eights or inverted z's and answers become repetitive it's a sign that you might be talking to this demon now i'm like thinking back to when i used to do the ouija board when i was like little at sleepovers if anything happened, I can't remember, but oh my god! Yeah. Well, this reminds me of one of the the listener stories we read. I think on the Halloween episode, her Ouija board story, where the because there are other signs like rapid movements, and that girl was saying that the planchette started moving like crazy right. on the board. So it's rapid movement. So if you're using a Ouija board and the planchette may begin moving rapidly, and if there's a pendulum around and it starts to swing, those are signs that it's there, that he's there. But only Dude, when you're my using- pendulum. Yeah, but when you're using them together. Okay. He may announce himself by spelling out his name. You'll get feelings of unease and fe- may feel sudden weight of dread or unease descend upon you. And then you might see shadows moving or the room you are in may get darker. Not everyone believes that he's a demon or it's a demon. There's a theory that it's nothing more than just an evil spirit pretending to be a demon. That, and it's like lying. Mm. But just based on the fact that it can be so many places and travel and... And the fact that so many people have experiences with this one specific yeah. entity. Because if there are, like, we haven't talked about it or done much research on 
factual demons, but there are quite a few specific demons out there. And it would be weird, like the, yeah, like if you're a spirit coming through, like, wouldn't you only come through if it was the area that you were haunting or like that's a what loved I one? Think. Or it's your loved one, yeah. But you don't just pop around the entire world. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they can travel and like, I feel like some ghosts are like stuck in loops and stuck in certain areas or stuck right. with objects. So I, yeah, I don't know how it all works. And the other thing is too, like you never hear about spirits who, once they pass away, know all the languages. And I'm assuming Zozo is around all of the world whenever yeah. someone brings out a Ouija board and is able to communicate no matter what the language is. Right. Well, if you yeah. do feel like you have contacted this demon while you're playing with a Ouija board, there are four things you need to do. The first is remain calm. Because demons and evil spirits feed off of fear. So take calming breath and steady yourself or do what Corinne has suggested and <laughs> do the wrapping. Imagine yourself being wrapped in silk while thinking positive thoughts from head to toe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is to close the session properly. <clears throat> so if you're playing with the Ouija board, move the planchette to goodbye and formally close the game. If you're using another contact method, close that one immediately. Do not speak his name. Using his Whoops. name gives him gives him power. So avoid speaking to him or about him. Is that while you're using the Ouija board or in general? I think that's what, when you think you've contacted him, but I think it's also probably safe to not talk about him. Oh my gosh! Sorry, guys. We should put a disclaimer at this at the beginning. Yeah. Like a certain demonic entity is spoken about starting at this time. Skip yeah. if you don't want to hear. Its name. Yeah. The last one, the last thing to do is seek professional help. Um, if you feel like after doing the other three steps, the entity is still around you, you should seek out help from a paranormal professional, a religious leader, a priest or a rabbi, or any other religious leader. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a dangerous demon, so you should avoid contacting him and use a Ouija board very cautiously. And we have, going off of that, we have cautionary tales to tell. We have a couple. We have a lot, but we'll read a couple. Yeah. So many people have Ouija board stories, but we'll read two of them. Do you want to read Thomas? Sure. Okay. This one's so creepy. This one is. Should I say that, like, Thomas is our friend? Yeah. Okay. Should we pretend that we don't know Thomas? Let's pretend we don't know him because we don't want to be associated with him. Okay. (laughs) Thomas, who's definitely not someone that we know or went to college with, emailed us and said, Hey, Sabrina and Corinne, as you know, huge fan of the podcast. Had some time on my flight this morning, so I put my craziest experience into words. I hope it freaks you out as much as it still freaks me out today. Yep. When I was a junior in high school... I had a paranormal encounter that has been so embedded in my brain, I don't think I can ever forget it. For context, it was the night of the school dance, and the theme was Jersey Shore. The intention was to get people to dress up as guidos, but my date-slash-longtime friend Sophia and I decided to go against the system and instead took the theme literally, arriving in board shorts and wetsuits. Wait, little side note. Mm -hmm. I'm from Jersey, 
and I dated a guy. His name was Guido, and I won't. That's say his a real last name. name. It's a real name. It's the most Jersey story I have. <laughs> <laughs> Did you gym tan laundry with him too? No, I was in sixth grade, and I still to this day one of my friends. Or I was in like seventh grade, I can't remember. My, one of my friends made it, congrats on dating Guido, little pamphlet with his yearbook photo on the top of it. <laughs> but the way he asked me out, he came up to me and he goes, hey, are you Italian? And I said, yeah. And he goes, okay, do you want to be my girlfriend? That No, that is the most <laughs> Jersey story you have. You have to be Italian. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> this is what you could have had. <laughs> Send Zozo after him. <gasps> Just kidding. Never do that to anyone. Don't do that. Not Don't your do worst that enemy. Okay. okay. Going back to Thomas's story. Uh, when we got to the school gym, we were immediately turned away for wearing skin-tight outfits. Ha. Huh? <laughs> Classic private Catholic high school, right? Annoyed, we decided that we weren't going to go to the dance at all. Well, that's because you weren't allowed to. <laughs> Four other friends, Emily, Annie, Charlie, and Sean, all heard about the wardrobe situation and said they'd leave with us too, since they weren't having fun anyway. Trying to figure out what to do, Emily suggested, well, I have a Ouija board in my car. Why don't we go to a cemetery and see what happens? Yeah, I know. We were fucking stupid. Because what happened next was one of the most surreal and terrifying experiences of my life. We got to the cemetery around 10 p.m., not incredibly late, but it was dark, wet, and cold, classic February Oregon weather. The wetsuits didn't help much either. Because the cemetery was technically closed after dark, we parked on the side street in a nearby neighborhood and walked into the cemetery about 50 yards, eventually setting up underneath a tree. Using the incredibly dim lights from our Verizon wireless flip phones, no flashlight apps back then, (laughs) we each put two fingers from the same hand on the pointer or the planchette and began asking questions. At first, nothing happened. We asked the usual things. Are there any spirits here? Would you like to make yourself present? Nothing. We sat for another five to ten minutes. Nothing happened. It was getting cold, and we weren't sure if we should call it a night, so I asked one more time, are there any spirits present? Then the pointer moved a centimeter, then another centimeter, then another, and another, and eventually it found its way all the way up to yes. Ah. Now, at this point, I question if one of my friends maybe assisted in moving the pointer just to make things fun. It definitely wouldn't be out of the question, but the following sequence of events makes me think that even if they did give it a push. It didn't make a difference either way. We asked who we were speaking with. S-U-S-A. Susan? Emily asked. The pointer slid up to yes. We asked Susan how old she was. Four, eight. We asked her when she died. One, nine, seven. We figured either 1977 or 1997 since we only got three numbers. We asked her if she had children. Yes. Then Charlie asked, almost out of left field, did you love your children? The pointer stalled for a moment before it moved up to no. I should say by now, the pointer was not inching across the board. It was gliding almost effortlessly. We were all in disbelief. I have children now. (laughs) We were all in disbelief as to what was happening. Each of us taking our hands off the pointer at different times saying, I swear it's not me. I'm not pushing it. 
I think subconsciously we wanted it to not be true because the alternative was almost worse. When we asked Susan how she died. No, you're not supposed to. We now know you're not supposed to, Thomas. M-U-R. Murder? Emily asked. Yes. At this point, all of our teeth were chattering, chills through our bodies. Then we reached a breaking point. I asked, are there any other spirits with you right now? The pointer slid up to yes. I paused for a moment before asking, do they want us here? The dial started sliding back to yes. Before it got to yes, it stopped suddenly. Then it moved along the top of the board over to the no. Before it got to the no, it started sliding back towards yes. Then back to no, yes, no, yes. It went back and forth probably five times before it finally stopped directly in the middle and slid completely off the board into the grass. It was almost as if we were witnessing an argument between spirits, both sides pushing equally towards their respective answers. Regardless, there were spirits present that did not want us there. Emily immediately called out, Exit Ouija! And we collectively booked it out of there, shaken for the rest of the night, unable to explain what had happened. I know that rationally it could have been faked. One of my friends could have been manipulating the pointer the whole time, but it felt irrational to believe that someone was moving it between us. It felt all too real, and the speed of the pointer and the ease of which at in which it moved, I'll never forget it. We were visibly shaken. Flash forward. September 2017. I've been listening to Two Girls, One Ghost, and I was thinking a lot about that night seven years ago. I decided I would try to go back to that cemetery while I was visiting home and see if I could find Susan's grave, presuming she was buried there. I texted Sophia if she remembered the name of the cemetery, and in a matter of minutes, she found it, a small cemetery just outside of Portland. I asked my friend to accompany me since she lives just a few minutes away from the cemetery, and she gladly agreed. We got there right before dusk, not wanting to be there at night, and also didn't want to be breaking any rules or disrespecting the landowners. We pulled into the gravel driveway, and I realized we were on the wrong side of the cemetery, that when we came here in high school, we had parked on that side street all the way across. We casually walked over towards that side, stopped by the tree that I presumed we had sat under, and I turned to my friend and said, all right, I guess we can start here. How about you look over on those two rows and I'll... I froze. My friend's eyes grew wide and she said, Oh God, what? I pointed behind her. There, two rows up from where we were standing, clear as day, was Susan's gravestone. Born March 18th, 1949. Died December 13th, 1997. 48 years old. Loving wife, mother, and friend. We found her. The two of us stood in silence for a minute. It was a disbelief. It was so easy to find her gravestone. It felt like fate. Maybe, just maybe, she had led us to that spot to give both me and her the closure we needed from that night all those years ago. Pictures attached blurred out her last name for respect for her family, just in case. Hope you enjoyed. Keep up the good work, Tom. Oh, my gosh. Also, Tom is such a good writer. He really is. It's such a good story. But it's terrifying. And, like, we have been friends with him for a long time, and he never told us. Like, I feel like we talk about ghosts enough. I kind of sort of thought he might tell us the story. (laughs) I don't think him and I have ever talked about ghosts before. 
I guess probably I haven't either. And I think because we started this podcast, he was like, oh, yes, I can finally share this story with someone. <laughs> That's true. Because in college, too, you kind of like proceed with caution and you don't want to freak anyone else. Except for when I met you story. right away. Yeah. Well, you and I were like, we're both weird. Let's talk about this. But <laughs> other people are like, together. let's fit in and like make friends. <laughs> so yeah, um, Thomas's story. I just love that that him listening to the podcast sparked him to go and try to find the gravestone and he found it immediately. I know. And we'll we'll share the picture on our social media. Yeah, we will. Um, should I read my story? Yes. So this is from Sarah, and she says, my Ouija board experiences. So the first time, it was pretty uneventful. My sister and her best friend and I made a board and decided to use it in my sister's room, then my room, and now the study. There's a board that covers the plumbing in the wall for the bathroom, and it's been loose my whole life. We were communicating with whom we believe was my best friend who was killed when I was seven. About halfway through, we asked for a sign that she was here, and the board started shaking. We were all on the floor, and the board was at least four feet from us, shielded by the bed. That night, my sister's friend claims she was abducted by aliens. Other times, the lights turned off and on. It got cold all of a sudden, and I would just burst into tears randomly. One time, the TV turned on, and static played for about a minute before it turned off on its own again. I swore I would never use it again when the planchette started circling the board, went corner to corner, and did the alphabet backwards. We had someone reading from the Bible, and every verse he read, the spirit got angrier and angrier to the point it flew off the board. I definitely think it was Zozo. My best friend and I have had dreams of the same little girl, Emma, wearing a blue dress circa early 1900s. We've also seen water turn red and thick and then back to water. Most of our experiences happen with or around each other. I'm convinced she's my traveling soul, as we've always been drawn together in the same time periods. I think I'm only in my second or third life. I think I first lived in the 1800s and then again in mid-century until I was born in this life in 96. I've always had an affinity for history surrounding the Industrial Revolution and World War II, so I think I lived during those times. I hope you guys never use a spirit board, but if you do, please do your research first and follow the rules and stay safe. Stay spooky, Sarah. Wow. For both of them to have that vision of the The little girl. The same little girl, I know. That's what freaks me out. Hello. And Leia, too. Freaks Leia out. I also don't think she's used to having me home at this time. She's like, party! (laughs) But I can't even imagine, like, the fear that I would have using a Ouija board and seeing it start to, like have an adverse reaction to me asking questions yeah this is why i just avoid it all together because i don't know there's just a chance that you could open up to something terrifying and i don't want to right oh my gosh oh ouija boards all right well as much as we're scared of ouija boards and clearly a lot of people have experiences yeah that maybe aren't the best you can safely use one just take a lot of precaution. And make sure you know what you're doing. Know how to lay a little paw. <laughs> oh, lay. Stop. <laughs> make sure you have read everything you need to and just, like, 
respect the spirits and Mm -hmm. know how to exit out of a Ouija board because I think if you don't close out properly, that leaves it open. I have heard, too, that you're not supposed to, like, burn a Ouija board either. Like, when you get scared and you're like, oh, my gosh, I don't want this anymore, and then you just burn the Ouija board. I I did hear once upon a time that that's not the right way to properly get rid of a Ouija board. So we should probably look that up and maybe talk about that. Right. Um, Also, this Wednesday is our first... Encounters. 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 Send us all your emails. Share your stories with us. And email them to two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. And like us on Facebook, join mm-hmm. our private Facebook group. And rate and review us, on, us mm-hmm. on iTunes because that is what helps us grow and reach a wider audience and share our ghost stories with everyone. Right. And and yeah, help us grow with you guys. We're trying to find all the ghost lovers out there. So yes. Pass it along to your coworkers, your friends, your parents, whoever. And we love staying spooky with you guys. So yeah, we really do. We will. We will. See, see you on the on other, the other side. side.